Packy challenge. Now you say Pocky Packy. I heard so many different ways people were saying it online. It was this this chip challenge. This is kind of the mass produced chips that they came out with. But this chip challenge was a single chip, a, a chip that was so hot that if you ate the chip, you couldn't contain yourself. So online, you would find uh, some rant. And this was some months ago, but you'd find people get the chip, talk about how bad they was. Look, who going to send me one chip? I'll show you what I do. This chip won't be nothing but a Dorito to me. Look, watch this. Open the chip up. Smell a little bit. Smell kind of hot. You know, seem like it might sizzle a little bit, but I'll be okay. Take a bite of the chip. Come on, kids. Y'all must have seen it. You know? You know it's bad when they only send you one chip. So what would happen is inside the mouths of people would go crazy after about 15 seconds. The first five seconds, you're still arrogant. Oh, this ain't, <laughs> this ain't nothing. In about 10 seconds, you're like, <laughs> um, <laughs> by 15, people would go crazy crazy. They would respond in some of the most wild ways. People would jump and go grab a gallon of milk and just pour it on their faces. People would almost separate their neck from their body and just let it run underneath the sink. People would do all types of crazy responses from something that they placed that inside them then had an had a external expression. There was this chip that they had eaten, but they, they couldn't contain themselves. They couldn't just stay cool. It actually had an outward expression. Today, family, as we dive into God's word, we are going to look at how God does something inside each and every one of us. But he does it with the expectation that it's going to have an external action, that it's going to actually flow out of you, that you are not going to be able to contain it. If you would, please turn with me to Acts chapter 26. Let me pray for us as we turn there. Lord, would you guide us that we would recognize the beauty of what you do in our hearts, but that it is not a change that is to rely to remain dormant. It is a change, Lord, that is to take action in our world. And Father, remove me so that we might be able to understand this reality. Help us to grow. Help us to understand. Help us to apply your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts 26, verses 17 and 18. We've been in our foundations slide, our foundation series where we are talking about the core things, the basic things, the fundamental things you need to be able to understand the Christian faith. We want you to have a solid foundation. With a solid foundation, you can build from there. You can be able to go out, engage others, and know that what they're saying isn't going to rock you. You can be able to talk to someone who is of a different faith and know that they're not going to change your mind because you got a solid foundation in Christ. And so we talked about God, the Holy Trinity. We talked about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this week, 
we are diving in a little bit to talk about what it looks like then to have experienced this holy God and the work he does in our hearts. Look at Acts chapter 26, verse 17 and 18. Jenny, may I ask if you could, in my desk, left center is a purple washcloth. Do you mind bringing that to me? I never knew why pastors sweat so much. Now I know. (laughs) Acts chapter 26, verse 17 and 18. Acts chapter 26, verse 17 and 18. This this is Jesus um, and Paul having a conversation, and Paul is basically giving his testimony of what took place with him in Christ. And he says, starting in verse 14, excuse me, I'm going to go 14 through 18. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise up and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen me, uh, which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. And you pick up with me at verse 17, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Sanctified by faith in me. Each week we've been talking about aspects of the gospel. We've been talking about how, yeah, God blesses you. Thank you, sister. How God blesses you and allows you to be able to see and respond to God. But God first does something to you. He opens your eyes. We're not wise enough, smart enough, or cool enough to choose God. God first does something in us where he opens our eyes, verse 18. Made us aware of his beauty and of his glory because we were in darkness, as it says here. Darkness means you couldn't see. Darkness means you didn't understand. Darkness means you were not thinking straight. You ever watch some of those videos and my kids laugh at me because I watch this stuff, but it's funny to me. I'm sorry. You ever watch some of those videos sometime when a person is sitting on a tree and they got a nice branch and this is the tree and they on the branch and they got the saw and they going like this. (laughs) They sitting on the branch. That's the tree and they cutting and you know what's going to happen when they get through the branch, right? That, that's the imagery of darkness, of like we, we thought we was doing stuff that was right, and it was for our own demise. And God says, I opened your eyes. I brought forth a light. I helped take you from darkness when you thought you was doing good on your best day, leading towards damnation, leading towards sin, leading towards pain that you were causing a holy God. And he brought light. And opened our eyes. And so this God allows us to experience him as our light. Even while seeing those foolish actions. Even while seeing that jacked up mentality. Even while seeing that we were hurting ourselves and hurting God. He still says, I forgive you. 
I forgive you. I forgive you. So it's only two, two little verses in uh, 17 and 18, but 18 is packed with the beauty of the gospel that he opened our eyes, that he took us from darkness to light, that Satan wanted to control and see all of us suffer and die. But God says, I'll separate your sin as far as the east is from the west. I forgive you. So the result of all that, the result of all that, the result of his saving grace, the result of you responding, the result of him now forgiving you is something that we call sanctification. All of that leads towards this word called sanctification. It says there that you are sanctified by faith in me. Sanctified just simply means set apart, dedicated to God. Set apart and dedicated to God. Sanctified. Yes, you. Sanctified. See, and, and there are denominations within the black church that are referred to as sanctified. And those sanctified denominations, everybody coming in wearing white. Looking pure. Because it's, it's supposed to mean that these folks are set aside for God's holy purposes And you're supposed to look and see, oh, we all are wearing a cleanliness that sets us apart for God's purposes. Sanctified. But God does two things. He sanctifies your internal character. So you get to be a little bit more patient. You get to be a little bit more kind. You get to be a little bit more loving. We get to be a little bit more gracious because because God don't care about the stuff you care about, right? Like God, God changes us to make us care about the stuff he care about. So you get mad when somebody cuts you off driving to work. God don't care about that. You get mad when people keep misspelling stuff when they send you emails. If I ask her a question one more time and she respond with K-N-O-W, I'm going to go crazy, it's N-O. You, you, but God don't care about that. See, God is, God, is, God is saying, that little stuff don't matter to me. You now have to conform the likeness of who you are to me. And so now you got to grow in long-suffering. You got to go in steadfast. You got to grow in service. You got to grow in humility. You got to grow in generosity. So God grabs your heart, forgives you, and says, I got something that is specific to you, personal to you, only for you, and it's a character transformation that I'm doing inside that don't nobody else know what's going on. You ever sometimes feel like it's World War III going on inside your mind between you and God? I'm smiling, but they don't know inside I am going crazy. Lord, I can't say what I used to say. I can't think what I used to think. I can't. You don't feel that inside that tension. And God is saying, that's cool because I'm working it out. I've set you apart as my beautiful son. I've set you apart as my beautiful daughter. You are set apart. I've sanctified you. I've made you holy for my purposes. So there's an internal aspect of sanctification that happens. But there's also an external aspect. You see, God does a work in you that you might be able to express his holy character to others. 
And therefore, it's not just your thoughts and ideas that become holy. It's also your behaviors and your interests become holy. You begin to say, now no longer am I just like having a salvation experience where I change. I now am asking God, what do you care about? And I probably should be caring about that, too. What are the things that get you excited and bring you joy? What are the things that make you angry? And I probably should start allowing my personality, my persona, the way God has wired me to join in. And I get mad about what you get mad about, God. But Jesus makes this this interesting announcement because he's done a great work in our hearts and our lives. But he makes this announcement to help us understand what it is that he cares about. Look with me in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is about to start his ministry. He's kicking it off. He goes into the synagogue, flips through some pages, finds his spot in the book, and then he makes his declaration. He says in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Looks through the book. Finds that and says that. And and the book he's quoting is actually in Isaiah. You can see Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 say the exact same thing. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Liberty. Liberty just means freedom. It means that you are free to move forward. For the sake of this sermon, I know there's a bunch of beautiful tidbits in here, but I'm going to simply focus on one aspect of this proclamation that Jesus does, where he says he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to set liberty to those who are oppressed in verse 18. We know that it's a spiritual liberty. We know that God saved us from sin. We know that we were enslaved in bondage to sin, that Satan was tricking us and pimping us out and had us thinking that we were doing great things, but we were actually working for him constantly, coming back to him, back to him, back to him with sinful behaviors. And God says, I'm going to break all that. I'm going to snap all that. I'm going to free you from all that. But part of the drama and part of the divide of the Christian church is that that is sometimes where we stop. We say Jesus came to do a spiritual thing. And I'm thankful for the spiritual. But if you would look with me just three chapters ahead in Isaiah 58, he helps us understand what Jesus is hoping to fully free us from. Isaiah 58 says this in verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bounds of what? Wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the who? Oppressed go free. And break every yoke. Let the oppressed go free. See, what, what, what can happen in our spirituality is that we can just simply say, 
What God wants to do is free you spiritually and pray that you'll be all right. We hope that God will free you from the bondage of sin and that you will be okay. And that is totally separate from the fullness and the beauty of God. God is excited about you having understanding of him. He's excited about you having knowledge. Uh, A.R. Bernard says this. He says that there are three aspects to Christian understanding or to, to, to the Christian mindset as it relates to the gospel. You have knowledge, you got understanding, and you got wisdom. Knowledge is you getting a lot of the facts, doing the research, right? Knowledge is you getting some of the research. Understanding is you having the concept of what does that fact, what does that information mean for my life? And then lastly, wisdom is you going and applying it. Wisdom is you going and applying it. And so what happens is sometimes what we'll do is we allow our faith to end at knowledge where we got, we understand who Jesus is. We, we got the facts about him, understanding where Jesus is now a, a good person that means something for my personal life, but the wisdom part of going and now applying it to the situation of others can sometimes be a little stagnant. And so we find ourselves in this crazy dilemma of, Lord, what, are, what is it that you're calling us to? What does it look like? What are you passionate about? And Jesus is passionate about our spiritual freedom as well as our physical freedom. Our physical freedom. Let me ask you this. If if you were someone that had been in verse in Isaiah 58, verse six, if you were someone that had a, 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 a yoke on your neck and somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm interested in taking that yoke off your neck. How would you respond? How, how would you respond? What would you because because the yoke, the yoke was you had two bulls that would help you plow through 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 farms and they would put this big, heavy stock on the necks of both of them. And the goal of it was to force the animal into submission and for the, the animal to take the bulk of the weight. So when when he's saying the yoke. What you can imagine is a human like this with a burden upon their shoulders. And Jesus is saying there's a burden of oppression on the shoulders of my people. And I'm coming to free them. That oppression is sin, but that oppression is also injustice. It doesn't stop simply with a a spiritual impact. There's also injustice. So that's why if you look at Proverbs 21, 15, we hear these words. We hear when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous. Why? Why? Why is justice a joy to the righteous? Why is justice a joy to the righteous? Because the righteous feel like a yoke has just been lifted from upon my shoulders. Now this burden that I was carrying, which was a spiritual bondage unto sin, but was also oppression that I was experiencing. You just relieved me of it. And Jesus is saying that I want people to experience freedom. 
Look in Psalm 37, verses 27 through 28. It says, turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Children of the wicked shall be cut off. I want to say this as humbly as I can. Uh, You cannot be a Christian and simply have a personal change that affects no one else. You cannot be a Christian that says, I accept Jesus into my heart and, and, and nobody else experiences the Jesus transformation that has happened in your heart. I, 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 I don't understand how God can save a person. Now, now yeah, a thief on the cross, maybe. Because the next breath was, he's gone. You got me. But, but as a believer, Jesus saving people is not simply something that happens intellectually. It's onto, it, it changes the very being of who we are. And so at some point, if you love Jesus, it flows out of who you are and you can still be jacked up. You can still be imperfect as you are. You can still, but he said, I made you holy. So either he made you holy, which means you now resemble him and look different, or he didn't make you holy and you the same dude, same woman in darkness as you were before and you just said some words. Either we become holy or we don't. And holiness is not dependent upon our character. We do not have the strength to make ourselves holy. God makes us holy. And when he does so, he does so with our minds and he does so with our Actions. I was uh, reading an, an Old Testament survey book by a man named Christopher Wright. It's a book called Old Testament Ethics for the People of God. Look, look, at, look at, I think there's seven different things that, that he communicates that shows one aspect of, of God's heart for holiness. God's heart for holiness One aspect of that is justice. Justice just simply means making things as they should be. Justice is simply like making things as they should be, that there's a right way. And justice just simply means that things should be the way that God intended. Okay, here's here's like six or seven reasons why an aspect of injustice, the aspect of injustice I'm going to talk about is poverty. Six or seven reasons why the Bible says poverty exists. Check these out right quick. Number one, he says there's natural causes. Sometimes things just happen. Sometimes a tornado comes through your field and it messes up all your crops. He says there's laziness that causes poverty. That, that people love to sleep less they come to poverty. Open that eyes and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Basically, go to work. But if you don't and you're lazy, that can create, that can contribute to poverty. Number three, uh, oppression. Oppression. 
Look at what it says in Exodus 22:25. If thou lend money to any of my people with thee that is poor, thou shalt not be to him as a creditor, neither shall you lay upon him interest. That was the ASV. I could look it up in the, if, yeah. yeah y'all, y'all, may, maybe, um, do, do y'all know that certain people don't have any fees at the bank? See, see, hold up. I'm probably the only one that get fees at the bank when something go wrong. Do you know there's people that get no fees? You know that poor people, middle class, the poor people are the ones who predominantly get most bank fees? Why is that the case? That's the case because the person with all the money, you don't want to make mad. The bank ain't going to charge somebody a little fee when they're making them thousands upon thousands. But when you do research, you'll see who gets the predominant, who gets most of the fees. Poor people. There's something wrong with these imbalances. So he says there's some natural causes, some laziness. There's oppression of the poor that happens. He says there's, there's ethnically weak people that caused poverty, that, that allowed poverty to exist. Look with me in, in Genesis 16. Y'all going to say, this happened back then in the Bible? Now, Sarai, 16, we start at verse 1. Now, Sarai, and just in four verses, you're going to see something that's like, now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold now, Jehovah hath restrained me from bearing. Go in, I pray thee, unto my handmaid, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her handmaid. After Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and had gave her to Abraham, her husband, to be his wife. What's happening here? Basically, Sarah's barren, not able to have kids. She says to her, boo, hey, you should go kick it with Hagar. He says, well, if you're down for that, I mean, okay. And he goes and makes a child. If you look in those verses, what voice does Hagar have in it? Because she, she's a man's property. It's, she's ethnically weak. As an ethnic group, they were slaves. Slaves had no voice. This is, this is we find in the Bible, and God is saying poverty exists because injustice exists. Injustice exists breaking my heart, and you can't just get saved and say that it happened in you and you better now. It's a broken world out here. It's a fallen world out here. It's people hurting out here. It's people walking around with a yoke upon their necks. And I've saved you to be a difference. It's another reason. Another reason. That there's royal excess and corruption and abuses of power. Y'all remember we was in Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah, man. We had some fun. We built a little... Wall and the whole nine. Y'all remember as Nehemiah was advancing things, one of the things took place with Sambalat, Tobiah. They was powerful people. They was leaders in the community. 
that were going to go and wage war against the people of God. They was using their power as political leaders. And lastly, we'll, 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 we'll I don't even know if that's last. That ain't last. Then you got a uh, judicial corruption that happens where we got to say to judges, like, can you be honest, please? Can you can you be on the side of God in this? Man, y'all are like, Pastor, where are you going with this? I don't see the connect. Listen, what, what, what you what you got to see is two things. One, all of the the challenges you find to people being people of justice are to the people of God. Like God's not asking the world to be extensions of his justice. He's saying to God-centered kings, would you rule with God-centered integrity? He's saying to God-centered husbands, would you love your wife and your wife alone and not engage with others? Would you be a woman and man of integrity because you get to extend my justice. See, sanctification can't just be an internal thing that happens to us. If so, if we are simply people who say like, man, I've been sanctified, God's grabbed my heart, and it was a personal experience, what we do is we see people that are being oppressed and we simply Step over them. See, what, 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 what's happening in evangelicalism now, and that is like a, a way in which we define what are some core components that we believe as Christians. What happens in evangelicalism now is this big divide, this divide of people who say salvation is what matters most, that someone would love the Lord. And then there's another camp of people that are saying people need to experience Jesus. They need to be freed from the pressures of this world. They need to be freed from oppression. And somehow we started fighting as if the gospel was just one of those things. As if sanctification was just one of those things. Don't let somebody put you in a box as if you have to be one or the other. The gospel is sanctifying us that we would have a personal experience, that you would be a changed person because of this God and what he's done in your heart, that he's taking you from dark until light. But it ain't just for you, baby. Now you have the lenses of Christ. Now when you look out at a broken world, you can't see it the way you saw it in darkness. Now you look out and you see people hurting and you say, how can I lift? this yoke up off of you? How do I get this burden up off of you? How do I help you? I found it interesting, though, that like a lot of the conversations that I'm in with, with folks that are like outside of our community, they're like focus on, on like one small aspect. You got that little comparison that I had, Jake. You got Natural causes, oppression, ethnically weak, royal corruption, judicial corruption. This is what God is speaking to his people. He's saying, look, I know what y'all are prone to. I know when you get paid, you'll be greedy. Get right. I know, I know how when you got some stature and women start coming towards you, you'll start trying to kick it with everybody. I'm, like He's saying this to his God-centered people. And what sometimes I find myself in these de- debates and these talks People look at, say, black people, or they look at certain cultures, and they'll say, like, 
Laziness is the reason poverty exists. Did you not see all these other things working against us? You didn't, you didn't, you didn't see the, you, is the, is the, is this bigger than those? Like, and sometimes going through all of these over and over and over again leads you to be exhausted. So you might not be lazy. You just might be trying to cope. Why, why am I saying it? I'm saying this to equip our body. So that as you engage, as you are people of justice, you are, sorry, you are a person of justice because God loves you and he's changed your heart. Your heart now has been sanctified to care about what he cares about and he wants things to be in order. You are a person of justice, whether you are a man or a woman, whether you are white, Asian, black, whether you are rich Poor, whether you just got your last check or your first, it does not matter. You are an agent of justice because of what he has done in your heart. He has sanctified you for more purposes than just you. For purposes that should, that should free us. One of the reasons why the, uh, the, 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 the Pocky Challenge went crazy was because when you would sit there and you would see a person take this chip, and they would eat the chip, every person responded differently. So it never got old. One person took a chip, and they just went and dove in the pool. <laughs> Another person went and started licking out of their dog bowl. Another person, like, I mean, it was crazy the responses that people was giving. You never knew. There was one impetus, one thing that started it, but the way each person responded was crazy. I like to say that's how the Holy Spirit works. I like to say that's how the Holy Spirit moved. He, he got something that we all can be united in, is that we got saved. Personal. Personal. I know that I was in sin and now I'm in life because of what he did on the cross for me, that he died so that I could experience new life, that the father looks at me and says, I'm a part of his family now because the blood of Jesus was shed. I know that that's a universal experience. But then there's also some ways where he says, and now, baby, I want to free you up to go. I've saved you, but I want you to go. And when you go, I want you to take a little bit of justice with you. When you go, I want you to, I want you to be passionate and somebody to respond and say, human trafficking, not on my watch. But when you go, tell them that Jesus did it. We want somebody to respond and say, I want to be somebody that helps you reunite parents with their kids. But when you go... Tell them Jesus did it. We want to we want to see people break the habit of addiction and become sober again. But when you go, go telling them that Jesus is the one that did it. We want to see marriages restored that were broken and falling and seemed like there was no hope. But when they become restored, you go and you tell them it was Jesus that did it. Family, there is still many people who are oppressed. Many people that feel like that burden is upon their shoulders. 
And God says, I, I believe in you. I believe I've set you apart for my holy purposes. I got your heart. Now I want your actions. Would you go and point them back to me so that the captives may be set free spiritually as well as physically? Would you pray with me? Lord, we are thankful for the sanctification that happens in us. That justice is something you care about. We're not saying what everyone needs to go do. I have no idea what you would call your people to do. I do know that there's a broken world and you don't want us to simply ignore the pain of others. You've actually changed our minds so that we might be able to have hearts of compassion for those who are hurting. You've set us apart for your purposes. You've saved us. We get to walk out your gospel, this beautiful marriage of understanding, knowledge, and wisdom with action. This beautiful marriage of social engagement and biblical understanding. Hallelujah, God. We thank you. Free us up. I am excited to see you use people in this body. You already have. We know that you will. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.